0: women. Our aim for this day is very simple. My aim by God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit is to cast for you a high vision of the high calling of motherhood and thereby to celebrate the beauty of godly mothers. Now we're doing this today not because we're letting Hallmark hijack our preaching calendar and set the agenda for us. We're doing this because we want to seize the opportunity that Mother's Day presents for us, Because we believe so deeply in the impact that godly mothers can have. We believe so deeply in the influence that could be had by a church filled with godly women, and in particular this day, godly mothers. And we believe sincerely that that impact can be wide and deep, right? Wide in that if we have a church filled with godly women, and particularly godly mothers, many, many, many can be blessed both your own biological children, but if you're not a mom, if you're a future mom or a single person, even for the sake of younger folk in your life, whether that might be a kid brother or a kid sister, or whether that might be a nephew or a niece or a young person on your block or in your neighborhood or in your spheres of influence. Many, many can be reached by us having godly mothers, biological and spiritual mothers. And deep, we're convinced also, that this influence is not just for your children, but for generations to come. The women in this room need to hear me. We believe deeply that you will have a lasting legacy, a legacy that lasts past your last days, for good or for ill. You will leave a shadow that lasts past your days. And so we need you to be godly women. Today is not sort of a, a nod or a gesture to the women in the room. This is not just for us to acknowledge that you're here. This is not a patronizing pat on your head. Good job. Keep it up. This is a desperate plea that we need you to be godly women, godly mothers for the sake of our church, for the sake of our city, for the sake of the mission, for the sake of lasting legacy for generations to come. So what I want to do in trying to cast for you this high vision of the high calling of motherhood is we're going to step out of and away from our series through 1st Timothy but we're going to stick with Timothy. Here's what I mean. We're not preaching through what we've been preaching through asking what is a healthy church, but I do want us to consider this morning again the story of Timothy. It's it's fitting that we consider that because we've been talking about Timothy for a while and In Timothy's story, in his biography, you will actually find tucked away a beautiful picture of the impact that godly mothers can have. Timothy's story shouts of the influence and impact that godly mothers can have. And through his story, my hope and prayer is that you would see and receive a high vision to the calling of motherhood. Okay, let's pray for a moment and then I'll tell you Timothy's story together. Our God, we pause for a moment to ask for your help. We come to this text in many ways, sometimes hard of heart, sometimes disinterested as though this has no bearing on our lives, sometimes going through the routines and through the motions, sometimes eager but unaware of how to understand it. Lord, however we come, we know that your own spirit can engage us, arrest us, capture us, and help us as we come to your holy word. You can open blind eyes and open deaf ears and soften hard hearts, illuminate dark minds so that we would actually take this and receive it and that it might actually find its way through our ears into our hearts and there be planted and produce great fruit. That is our earnest prayer this morning. For it, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking, if you've been with us at all for the last few weeks, we've been talking through the letter to Timothy. And so you've heard that name before, and hopefully you have some kind of idea about his story if you've been hanging with us. But I do want you to know that Timothy's story does not actually begin in the letter that we've been studying. The first time that Timothy appears in the scriptures is not in 1 Timothy, but actually is in the book of Acts. The first appearance that Timothy makes is in the book of Acts, and it's actually Acts 16. Let me just read you when Timothy first appears in the scriptures. It says in Acts 16, verse 1, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. The first time that Timothy arrives in the scriptures is when Paul The apostle sent by Jesus Christ, a man who once had no love for Jesus, had no thought for Jesus, the church or Christianity, and Jesus won his heart. Paul shows up in this city called Lyconium or Lystra, and he goes from city to city preaching Jesus and the gospel's going and people are believing and repenting of their sins. And he shows up in this city called Lystra, and there he meets this disciple named Timothy. When he shows up at Lystra, what he finds is that the believers that are there cannot stop chatting about one particular man in particular. All the believers are talking about this one young disciple named Timothy. Now, we don't know how old he was at the time. He might have been in his teens. He might have been in his 20s. We do know that he was young, and even though he was young, He was well known for his faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody that knew Timothy knew that he loved Jesus, that he was following after Jesus, that he was a disciple of Jesus. That's a good word for us to pause on and hear for a second, right? Especially to my younger friends, to children who listen, right? It's a good word to ask, what do you want to be known for? What do you want your reputation to be about? When people speak about you, what it is it that you are hoping they say. When people were talking about Timothy, the word on the street about him was this is a godly young man who loves Jesus. It was clear and evident to all that he was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Sadly, when we talk about a reputation that a young person has, often it's not very positive, right? When we say that kid's got a reputation, we all immediately know what that sort of hints at and means. Well, Timothy was a kid with a reputation, but his reputation was that everybody who knew him knew that he loved Jesus. What is the reputation you want? If you're a child here, or if you're a teenager here, or you're in your 20s here, what is it that you want to be known for? My desire for you, our prayer for you, is that you would be known for your love for Jesus. That's my hope and prayer for you. My hope is that if someone talks about Serena or or Rebecca, that it would be evident that girl loves Jesus. If someone talks about Robin, it would be that's a young man that knows the Lord and loves the Lord, right? Timothy's reputation was that he loved Jesus. That was what was known about him. That ought to be the desperate desire for every young person, Right? And everybody that knew Timothy thought well of him. And the text will go on to say, and Paul was quite impressed with him as well. In fact, if you keep reading Acts 16, you find that the text says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He meets this kid for one time, and he immediately recruits him on his team to go on mission with him. And from that moment on, young Timothy becomes Paul's apprentice and goes on to become one of Paul's most trusted allies, most trusted partners in ministry. For the sake of time, I won't say more, but I'll I'll tell you this. We could not say enough good things about Timothy. Timothy goes on to become this remarkable young Christian man. Paul hardly writes one letter in the New Testament, in the scriptures, where Timothy is not explicitly mentioned as on mission with him, a partner with him. Timothy goes from city to city with Paul preaching the gospel, believing Jesus, telling everyone about him. There's hardly a letter where Timothy's name doesn't show up. We know even as we've been studying through 1 Timothy of all the things that Paul entrusted this young disciple with. The incredibly heavy load that he threw onto Timothy's shoulder because he believed in Timothy and believed Timothy could take care of it. Uh, And what we come to find out is though Timothy would have probably wanted to run out of that unhealthy church and that unhealthy situation history goes on to tell us though we don't know for sure that Timothy was probably buried in Ephesus so think about that Paul has to start first Timothy by saying Timothy remain at Ephesus and we have every reason to believe not only did he remain not only did he not skip town he stayed there till the end till his end that's the kind of man Timothy grew up to be he suffered for Jesus just like his mentor Paul the writer of Hebrews tells us that Timothy is finally released from prison. And so what does that mean? That just like Paul had suffered for Jesus, shy, timid, young, weak Timothy grows up to be a man who also loves Jesus so much that even if persecution should come his way, he will endure for Jesus' sake. When Paul talks about Timothy, he uses words and phrases like faithful beloved, my fellow worker. Uh, Timothy, he says, you know, has proven his worth. I mean, imagine what it would be like for Timothy to hear these words from Paul. If Michael Jordan looked at a kid playing basketball and said, that kid is amazing, I mean that is something, right? And you have Paul the Apostle saying of Timothy, he is a proven worker. He is faithful. I trust myself and my ministry to this man. We could keep going, but here's what I want you to hear. There is so much to love about Timothy, so much so that when we named our son, we gave him the middle name Timothy because so much of what we are praying for and hoping for for our son is wrapped up in this man's story, right? So much of what I'm praying for my son and your son's. So much of what I'm praying for my daughter and your daughters is wrapped up in the story of this young man, Timothy. For example, I'm praying that like Timothy, my son would come to know Jesus at an early age. If you've been here for five minutes, you've heard us pray that for all the children here. We are begging Jesus that they would come to know him in their youth at an early age, right? Right? I'm praying, you've heard me say probably before, I'm begging God that all the kids at Seven Mile Road would have terribly boring testimonies. That's what I want, right? If you've ever heard someone share their testimony, there's always the person who has a sexy testimony. I was lost, and I was doing this, and I was doing that, and Jesus showed up in my life and saved me. And that's glorious and beautiful and amazing when it happens. And when it happens, you don't have to convince anyone in the room that Jesus is real because only if Jesus is real could God have gotten involved with that person and changed their heart and saved their soul. You hear their story, and immediately you know grace. That, that's evident there. But it's very different when you hear the boring testimony of a kid who goes, I grew up in a Christian home, and I went to Sunday school, and I went to church, and I lied once in the fourth grade, but I knew Jesus my whole life, Right? And you sort of yawn at that. Not anymore. As I think about it more and more, it takes the same amount of unbelievable, ridiculous grace for God to keep a five-year-old all the way till 85, faithful and true and not falling away. It takes an, uh, an unbelievable amount of grace for God to take a five-year-old little girl and carry her all the way till the end not falling away. It took a ridiculous amount of grace for God to get in the heart of a nine-year-old boy, even though all his sin was still ahead of him. When Jesus saved me, all my years of sinning were still ahead. And he still saved me and stuck with me and didn't let me go. And despite all my wandering and my rebelling, never let me leave. And the grace that it'll take to keep till 50 and 60 and 70 and to the grave is an obscene amount of grace. And so my prayer is that like Timothy's boring testimony, our church would be filled with children who have boring testimonies that declare loudly the grace of God, able to keep year after year, decade after decade, in his grace and faithfulness. My hope and prayer for my son and your sons, and my daughter, and your daughters, is that they would have, even in their youth, a reputation for knowing Jesus. That everybody that knows them would know that they know Jesus. That if there's any word about them on the street whatsoever, that it would be the word that they are disciples of Jesus. They love Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They follow Jesus. My prayer for my son and your sons, my daughter and your daughters, is that they would serve Jesus and live their lives for Jesus, just like Timothy did, whatever the cost, wherever that takes them, that we would be so sold out for Jesus and his gospel and his mission that it would take us to the ends of our street and to the ends of the world and take our children to the ends of the street and to the ends of the world, wherever it might be, whatever the cost that they would follow Jesus, whatever the cost, young sheltered timid timothy for the sake of jesus was imprisoned for his faith and i hope and pray that in the generations to come our children would be faithful to jesus whatever the cost i have a sense i'm no prophet i have no prophetic fortune telling gift i have a sense that it will be harder and harder with each passing generation here to be faithful to jesus i have a sense that it will be much harder for our children be faithful followers of Jesus and that it will cost them much more than it ever cost us. And my prayer has been for a long time let them follow Jesus better than I did. And let them follow him even if that means in a generation or two there is persecution you and I never even dreamed of. If being a faithful Christian costs them more even throughout life all the way unto death that they would follow Jesus just like Timothy did. Here's what I'm saying. I could keep going, but so much of what we would want, and I know I'm not alone. If you've come to know Jesus, if you've come to experience this crazy grace that saved you out of your sin and gave you a new heart and gave you a new life, you were headed in this direction. Jesus changed your whole life around. If you've experienced that, then I know your deep desire for your sons and your daughters is that that same grace would find its way into their heart. And so the question is, how did Timothy become the kind of person so many of us hope and pray that our children will become? Right? That, that's the question. What happened that in Timothy's life that he turned out this way in the kind of way that we would hope our own sons and daughters turn out? What did God use to shape Timothy and to bring him to faith in Jesus? And the answer to that question is the most impactful, influential thing in Timothy's life was his godly mother and his godly grandmother. That's it. I'm not stretching that to try and fit the theme of Mother's Day today. I'm not sort of fibbing. I'm telling you very simply the most influential, impactful thing, the thing, hear me, that shaped who Timothy became and brought him to faith in Jesus Christ was a godly mom and a godly grandma. Hear it for yourself. This is 2 Timothy 1, verse 3 onwards. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother Eunice, and now I am sure, dwells in you as well. Here's what's happening. Paul is writing another letter to Timothy, the second one. And in the very first chapter, as he's greeting Timothy, he says, Look, like a dad missing a son, I miss you. I long to see you. I can't wait to see you. Every time I think about you, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Not phony fake, not playing church fake, not sort of around religion fake. No, sincere fake. Faith. I'm reminded of your genuine, authentic, real faith. And then he says, A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Here's what he's saying. Where did Timothy's faith originate? Where did it come from? He says, The the faith that you see in Timothy's heart, the sincere faith, is a faith that first dwelt in his grandmother, Lois, and in his mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, resides in you. Here's what Timothy is told. Paul's saying, what God used to bring Timothy to authentic, sincere, remarkable Christian faith is the life and faith of his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. I want you to hear that. That's the way that God works. That's the way that God loves to work. He loves to get involved with an ordinary, godly mom. You don't know anything about Lois. You don't know anything about Eunice. Their names are never mentioned in the Bible again. They're not super Christians. They're just ordinary, godly women. And yet God uses and loves to use ordinary, godly women to bring children, generations, to faith. If you're here and you're a parent, particularly if you've got a young one, a little one, a toddler, a child, an infant, would you allow the Holy Spirit to let this word find its way into your heart and allow it to begin to birth in your heart a dream for what could be with your children and what God could use you to do in the life of your children. Would you allow God to just begin to open your mind to the potential and possibilities of what God wants to do through you for the sake of generations to come? Right? Listen, God can show up in the life of our kids any way he wants, any time he wants, any place he wants. Jesus once said, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Where it blows, no one knows. Where it comes from, no one knows. It goes wherever it wills. So likewise, the Holy Spirit could show up in the life of your children at any moment, at any time, at any place, anyhow. He could use anything. You could be sitting in a library in college. Just ask Joe and he'll tell you his story of how the Holy Spirit, like a gust of wind, it into his life. You could be in high school, sitting at a Christian retreat, listening to a somewhat cheesy song and yet somehow that found its way to your heart. Just ask Shainu and she'll tell you her story. You could have wandered away and convinced yourself that God doesn't exist and given yourself over to atheism only to come back believing more strongly than ever that he does. Ask Sibi and he'll tell you his story. It can be anywhere, at any place, at any time. But you know where else... It could be that your sons and daughters come to faith, vibrant, sincere faith in Jesus Christ. It could be at your dining room table. It could be in your house. It could be by a bed, kneeling there with you. Right? God is totally able to use a retreat speaker or a friend at college or a book in a cafe. God's able to use a pastor or a speaker or a Sunday school teacher. And he loves to do it, and thank God that he does. But you know who else God is able to use? You, mom. God is able to use mom to bring sons and daughters to faith in Jesus Christ. And he loves to do it, and he does it all the time. He loves to take the seeds that mom has placed in the heart of her sons and daughters and bring those to fruit. And hear me, sometimes those seeds take a long season to bear fruit. Sometimes the winter is long. But a godly mother can with many prayers and many tears intercede and pray because he's a faithful God. This week, this morning actually, I came across the story of, have you ever heard of St. Augustine? Right? Whether you're religious, whether you're not, most people, if you've just studied some history, have heard of St. Augustine. He's well known, a thinker, wrote this famous book called The Confessions. Now, let me guess who you don't know, the name of his mom. Unless you are studying theology or particularly given to being a nerd, nobody really knows his mom's name. Right? She was this godly, woman named Monica. And the story we know is of Saint Augustine who wrote this book and went on to be this bishop and all this stuff that even secular historians have studied. Yet behind that story is a godly mother who for decades wept over the lost estate of her son. Wept weeping, despairing over how he has wandered away from God. So much so that a bishop from Milan, a man named Ambrose came and tried to comfort weeping Monica, saying to her, my dear, these tears, this son of these tears shall not perish. And God heard the many tears and many prayers of that faithful mom and brought that boy to faith in Jesus Christ because he loves to do that. He loves to take the seeds mom plants in the heart of a son or a daughter And over time, though the winters may be long, bring that seed to bear much fruit. That's what he does. That's what he did for Timothy. I can tell you also, that's what he did for me. As poor an example as I would be, I am an example that this text is true. This week, as I was thinking, and as I was even talking with Shainu, I came to remember again two of the most influential people in my own journey to faith, in my own coming to Christ, was a godly grandmother and a godly mother. Two people above everybody else that shaped my childhood and shaped my own journey to faith was a godly mom and a godly grandma, right? I had a very godly grandmother. She lived with us for the first eight years of my life, and anytime time I saw her, she was reading the scriptures or praying. It seemed like at all hours of the day or night. I remember being a boy and waking up in the middle of the night with a nightmare, And it seemed like no matter what hour of the night it was, there was a light in her room, and I would be able to go to her room, tell her I had a nightmare, she would pray for me, and I'd go back to sleep. I mean, she was Catholic, and so I remember, even as a boy, particularly because I'm given to nerddom as well, I remember talking theology with her at seven or eight and, and arguing with her about why she would think about Mary or pray to the saints. I mean, even then, though we had our differences, the scriptures were constantly being poured into me by this grand- godly grandmother. Her daughter, my mother, was another godly woman. In fact, while I was growing up, she was growing up in her own faith, grew up in church her whole life, and yet had come to a real, born-again faith in Jesus Christ and was pouring that faith into her son and daughter. I remember that one of the ways she taught me how to read was by reading the Psalms. And so how I learned to read was because this woman made me read the scriptures. In fact, the very night that a preacher stood up and preached the gospel and invited anyone who wanted to trust in Jesus to come down, my heart, though it was nine years old, leapt out of my chest and I needed to go down. And I was so young that mom literally had to lead me down to receive Christ. My mom literally, literally walked me to Jesus, walked me to faith in Christ. And many of you would be able to say very similar things because God loves to use ordinary godly moms to produce godly offspring. That's what happened in the life of Timothy. Now there's a detail here that I don't want you to miss because as we've been talking there's probably a person you haven't heard me mention yet what about dad right we've talked a lot about mom and grandmom and yet the silence about dad should probably be loud right now where's there any mention of dad and I don't know if you notice but in Acts 16 there's one brief mention of him hear it again It says, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Here's what that means. It's not that the Bible has a problem with Greeks. The way that was written was just to say, the mom was a believer, the dad was not. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Christian. Had no thought for Jesus. Didn't love Christ. He wasn't a believer. So here's Timothy's offspring, or home. He's got a believing mom and an unbelieving dad. In fact, a dad who probably the scriptures say stood in the way of his coming to faith. The text will go on to say he didn't circumcise him, which is one of the things that was required to be done. He had no thought for God, no spiritual part of his life to bring or give to his son. Here's what I want you to hear. If you've been with Seven Mile Road anytime at all, you have heard us clearly, loudly emphasize the place of dad in the home of any Christian home. We've said loudly, even throughout this series of First Timothy, dad, you bear primary responsibility for the spiritual condition of your home. When Jesus knocks on the door, no matter what's going on, you get the first conversation because you have been placed in leadership of your home. Responsibility falls on you. And yet, I think this story is so encouraging. Encouraging to many of you, encouraging to many in our city. Because even though Timothy didn't have a godly dad, God showed up in Timothy's life. And many of you and many women in our city find themselves in the same boat. Some of you are women who love Jesus. And either you're unwed or single or divorced or separated Or your husband may be in the picture, but he doesn't love Jesus. And this story stood out to me more than anything else, drove me to preach this because this story is an encouragement. Your children, your children are at no disadvantage. And God loves to get involved, even with Timothy's, who didn't grow up in perfect homes, who didn't have parents who had a perfect marriage. And yet Timothy goes on to become one of the most remarkable Christians in Christian history. Would you hear that again? And let that encourage you. You may not have a godly dad in home for your children, and yet Timothy, whose home was not perfect, whose, marriage, whose parents' marriage wasn't perfect, who didn't have a spiritual dad, goes on to become one of the most remarkable Christian men in history, because God used Lois and Eunice and their life and their faith to bring Timothy Sincere faith in Jesus Christ. All right, if you're hearing all that, let me say one more thing. If you're letting the Holy Spirit perhaps give you a dream of what could be with your sons and daughters and the legacy you'll leave for generations to come, maybe the question you've been thinking or should be thinking is how do we do that? All of this is great. I want godly sons and daughters. How? I'm no Monica. I'm no Lois or Eunice. How does any of this happen? While there are many things that could possibly be said, let me recommend to you one thing that is clear in the scriptures that Lois and Eunice did. One thing we know for sure that they did. This is 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. Here's what it says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you heard it. It doesn't come quickly obvious, but I want you to hear. What we know for sure that Lois and Eunice did is that from childhood on, they acquainted Timothy with the sacred writings. That's the scriptures. They acquainted Timothy with the scriptures, from childhood on, which was able to make him wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Let me say this quickly. When Paul's writing in chapter 3, basically what he's saying is, look, Timothy, a day is coming where everyone around you is going to take a nosedive into sin. The culture around you is going to nosedive into sin. Even the people who look godly in church are going to nosedive into sin. Everyone is going to lap up, drink up, live in sin. Not you. And he says, not you, and here's how you are to stay true to the faith. He says, continue in what you have learned. So, Timothy, you learned something. You were taught something. You have to continue in it. Continue in what you've learned, and you firmly believed it, knowing from whom you learned it. And the word whom there is plural. That's Paul's way of saying, remember the two folks, Lois and Eunice, who taught you these scriptures. And then he says, and how from childhood, You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's what he's saying. Timothy, if you're ever tempted to punk out, remember what you learned. Remember what was poured into you. This is like the advice you would give to a a young man as he's heading off to college. Remember what your godly mom and grandma poured into you. Remember what you learned. Remember what what you firmly believe, how from childhood on, from infancy on, you heard the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So mom, if you're here and you're going, what does it take? Here's what it takes. You acquaint, you teach your child the scriptures from childhood, from infancy, because the scriptures are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures do. That's what the scriptures do. And so, Mom, do not deprive your children of what this book can do. This book can make your children wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do not deprive your children of this book. Hear me, don't let this book collect dust on the table. This book is able to make your children wise to faith in Jesus Christ. So don't neglect the scriptures. Don't deprive your children of the means by which they might share in Timothy's story. This morning, I heard a story about a man named D.A. Carson, really well-known scholar, preacher, teacher. He said that when he was younger... He was deeply convicted because he would sit with his daughter for hours and work on nursery rhymes. And so he'd be able to say to her, Mary had a little, and the girl would be able to say lamb. Her fleece was white as, and the girl would say snow. And they would work on that over and over and over and over again until he could say less. Mary had, and she would say, a little lamb, whose fleece was, and she would say white as snow. And suddenly he says he was convicted at the thought, I've spent hours training her in this and yet have not acquainted her with the sacred writings which are able to make her wise through faith in Jesus Christ to salvation. I haven't poured into her yet for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And hear me, You want to give your children an education above all things. Why would you make them illiterate in the thing that matters the most? You want them trained up to be more successful than you could ever dream or imagine. Why would you deprive them of the thing that will last them for eternity? What will it matter if you've given them the whole world and they've lost their soul? Acquaint your children from childhood on, with the sacred writings, which are able to make them wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point, right? Paul's saying, look, everyone around you is going to be taking a nosedive into sin. The only way you are going to continue in sincere faith is if you continue in this, right? It's almost like if a a plane was taking a nosedive, right? Imagine a plane falling thousands of feet, nosediving going real fast, what's immediately going to drop? Those oxygen masks. And what's a good mom supposed to do? She's supposed to take that oxygen mask and put it around her face, breathe that in so that she can be saved, so that she can then put that oxygen mask around her child's face so that they can be saved while this thing is no diving. And imagine the horror of a mom who didn't do that. And the scriptures are saying, so is the horror of a mom who neglects to acquaint their child with the sacred writings, which are able to make them wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do not neglect the means by which you can be saved, though everyone around may nosedive into sin and by which your children can be saved. As I think of that, I know for sure I have failed. And perhaps as you're here, maybe you'll be honest and go, I failed at that too. There is much grace available for us today to repent, to confess this to the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive again fresh grace and mercy from him, to know you were never accepted because of your works. You'll never be rejected because of your lack of works. But today would be a day to turn and say, Lord, that's the kind of godly parent I need to be for the sake of godly offspring that I will acquaint myself with the sacred writings so that I can acquaint my child from infancy on with the sacred writings. Let me end by saying this. I know by no means have we covered every life stage of every woman in this room. And like Benu prayed earlier, I know that Mother's Day brings with it great joy and great sorrow for a host of reasons. May God who you find grace in through faith in Jesus Christ, provide grace. You have been prayed for even today. You've been remembered and thought of and prayed for even today. But what I do want to leave you with, and my prayer and hope, is that the Holy Spirit would begin to birth in your heart a dream or a vision for what God could do through your life that might leave a legacy for generations to come. There's a sequence of events. Your children learn the scriptures believe the scriptures, become disciples of Jesus who from a young age have a reputation for knowing and following him, who go on to live and serve him however they do it, no matter what the cost. And that entire sequence of events, hear me one last thing, that entire sequence of events can begin this week with you dusting the book off the table and reading the scriptures, acquainting yourself with them so that you can acquaint them from childhood on, so they can be wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. May it be said of your children, everyone here at Seven Mile Road, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your mother. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come to you and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you are able to do far more than these meager words have done. You're able to connect dots, you're able to highlight certain things, you're able to bring certain thoughts to the front of our mind. We speak generally, I speak generally to all, you can speak specifically to each. So right now, you know every person in this room. None are here by accident, you've gathered them here. And some even now we pray that you would convict them that the Holy Spirit would prod and prompt and shake even our hard hearts, convict us of sin, convict us that we're walking in a life that has no relationship with Jesus Christ and turn us around. Convict us that we are raising sons and daughters to inherit the whole world and yet lose their souls. We're educating them in every manner of everything and yet they are illiterate in the things that matter most. Convict us, O Lord, that we have neglected the sacred writings which are able to make us wise to faith in Jesus Christ. Convict us that in a world that is taking a nosedive into sin and we with it, you have given us a means by which there is oxygen for our soul and let none of us deprive ourselves or our children of the very oxygen our souls need, O God. Move us even this week to acquaint ourselves with the scriptures so that through them we might meet Jesus. And after all, that is what all of this is about, is meeting Jesus. And there is nothing more greater and nothing like that. And we pray you would help us all to meet him now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.